Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to the panel discussion of World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. When Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi took power in 2014, he put forward an initiative called "Make in India," with an eye on turning his country into a manufacturing powerhouse. The initiative has witnessed the Modi government roll out red carpet for foreign investors to invest in India's growth. Of course, over the years, opportunities have surely popped up. As former U.S. President Donald Trump's trade war, as well as the COVID-19 pandemic, have prompted multinationals to diversify supply chains away from over-reliance on China. Together with Vietnam, India is arguably a primary destination when companies seek to relocate parts of their production out of China. With that in mind. That's exactly why Foxconn's recent decision to exit an ambitious project to build one of India's first chip manufacturing plants look a little surprising. Indian officials claim that the news changes nothing about India's semiconductor manufacturing goals. However, to outside observers, it has raised some real questions about the ease of doing business. If foreign companies want to participate in India's plan to boost its manufacturing industry, so what kind of obstacles does India have to get rid of on its road to becoming the next manufacturing hub? And can India really end up replacing China in this field? These questions and much more in this edition of the program. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching "World Today." So, joining us now on the line is Mr. Mohammad Sakwib, Secretary General of the India-China Economic and Cultural Council, based in New Delhi. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Also joining us is Dr. Timothy Kurzweil from Chinese University of Hong Kong. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. And finally, we have Dr. Yao Shujie, Chengkong Professor of Economics with Chongqing University. Hello. Hello. Okay, so Mr. Sequib, to begin,、uh, to start with you, let's. Uh, begin our conversation by talking about Foxconn's recent decision to exit this 90 billion U.S. dollar mega chip-making project in India. What kind of issues do you think this is really pointing to? Do you think it is simply a result of, say, an unsuccessful business partnership, or would you say this is actually have something to do having something to do with? The broader business environment、uh, in India. Uh, 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 thank you, thank you so much、uh, for inviting me. Well, I think it is it is multiple of 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 all.、Uh, I think there was a bad、uh, business partnership and、uh, the, the bad、uh, location of, of the plant, and also there were so many other things. And so it is actually very. Complicated and very interesting、uh, case to study. You know, at the first, the, either Fox, Foxconn or Vedanta,、uh, they are not a, a semiconductor manufacturing company. They do not make chip. Yeah. But they they did a、uh, partnership because Foxconn wanted to show their、uh, presence in India. At Vedanta is very big with this government and all. So and then Vedanta has a lot of other interest also, and they wanted to just. Uh, reply to the call of Prime Minister that we should get into the the chip manufacturing industry. But then they have come together and then they were looking for a technological partner and they were not finding it for some time to come. But then somehow、uh, they zeroed in on 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 a European company uh, and uh, like ST Microelectronics and all,、mm. which agreed to partner with them. But they just wanted to give them a license. They were not really willing to partner in it. But the government of India wanted to have to have more skin into the into the project、uh, because these two partners were not really same、uh, manufacturing and all. But then、uh, ST Micro、uh, Electronics was not interested in any 
more than uh, uh, giving their license to to the company the second issue was with the government was that uh, uh, government uh, was i mean like the companies were looking i mean the the joint venture was looking for the incentives uh, to produce uh, semiconductor and all and the cost they had given to the uh, to the government government has objections to it or they has suspicion or to it that it was probably given um, the more cost than 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 it should be so they were they had not reached a conclusion that what kind of incentive Uh, mm. Should be given to given to this uh, to uh, to, the, to the all this uh, uh, joint venture. Mm. So uh, so I think and then also the 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 local environment there. You know, like uh, Gujarat is 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 not a really electronic uh, place. It is not really IT related and all. And this is highly so. There was I mean, Foxconn uh, was already suspicious of getting the the, the tech. I mean, the, the people. the skill labor which will required to produce uh, such kind of high technology uh, things and all so this was a mix of things and all but mm. it was a uh, i think it was a bad deal and and it has reflected very badly on india's uh, future of uh, electronic investment or high technology mm. so in the words of mr sakweb it is a bad deal Uh, so let me turn to you, Dr. Timothy Kurzweil, because this particular project that、uh, Foxconn has exited had actually once been hailed as a sort of milestone in India's campaign to attract investment, especially foreign investment in manufacturing sector, with Prime Minister Narendra Modi once framing it as a significant boost for the economy and jobs. Now, from a bigger picture. Um, what do you think is really the motive behind、um, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's Make in India initiative? If we think about the fact that historically India has largely invested in skill-intensive areas rather than labor-intensive areas、uh, as a as an engine for economic growth, I think the motive is to correct something that India has done wrong, basically since. Since the time it became an independent country, so like you said, this decision to invest in skill-intensive areas,、um, to to put lots of money into higher education rather than primary education, and to focus its、uh, development around skill-intensive manufacturing,、um, goes against everything the country actually has, which is a huge labour force surplus,、um, a widespread unemployment. Um, and and basically, the Make in India initiative is designed to respond to this, to sort of reorient the country's economy towards、um, the structural reality of what India is as a place. You know, to correct the historic wrong. Hmm. Okay. So, Dr. Yao, let me go to you. Having、um, listened to the、um, elaboration from both Dr. Timothy Kurzweil as well as Mr. Sakweb, what is your thought about? This、uh, Make in India initiative, as well as this recent project from which Foxconn has um, has uh, exited. I think first of all, India under、uh, Premier Modi is very ambitious to make India as、um, as a very strong manufacturer and also、um, a, 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 you know a big national power、mm. uh, in comparison with China, particularly by following China or. Uh, you know, catch up with China as soon as possible. So Modi's policy is to invest heavily in not only in the high-tech industry but also in the labor-intensive industry to generate more employment. And I think、uh, India actually have on the on the spotlight for many many years. And it, it has, I have to say, it has done a very great deal. It is pretty successful compared. In the past, in India, but on the other hand, I mean the Foxconn、uh, project actually sent a signal to to India and also to Modi that this kinds of、uh, large foreign investment it does actually require the lots of conditions.、Mm. First of all, is the local condition, the local business environment, the labor market, and also the technology、uh, accessibility. Because Foxconn is actually not the chip manufacturer; it's actually an assembler of、uh, final product. Yeah. So、um, you you just have a final product produced 
into the into the country without a, a very strong and long supply chain to support the whole process. They make the deal, okay, you know, without too much uh, solid foundation. And this is why we come to the point that uh, Foxconn have decided to pull out. Mm. I think it's not, it's not entirely the fault of the Indian local authority. It's also the fault of uh, Foxconn. Because Foxconn said he can build up any factory in China and they can make a lot of money, create a lot of jobs. And, 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 and Foxconn is a, is a very huge profit making, uh, mm. maker. Now, uh, they, they feel that this model can be uh, implemented in any part of the world as long as there's an abundance of labor. But uh, yet, I mean, India have abundance of labor. Actually, they have more labor, cheaper labor than China, of course. But, uh, you know, high-tech manufacturing or assembling is not just the abundance of uh, labor. It's also uh, some necessary uh, technological support, labor skills, and also the business environment, particularly the, the legal system, that mm-hmm. govern you know, the labor market. And mm-hmm. in that regard, I think India uh, does not have as much as the kinds of conditions that China has. Mm-hmm. This is why Foxconn funded it is not going to make the same source of money they make in China uh, if they invest heavily in India. Okay, so Mr. Sequib, um, I guess uh, Mr. Yao, Professor Yao has just pointed to a very important issue regarding the building of a holistic ecosystem surrounding a particular, you know, manufacturing sector. Uh, I guess in terms of the semiconductor ecosystem, people would generally agree that India is really in a very early and nascent stage. But what yeah. about, say, smartphone production? That's an area where companies like Foxconn are very good at. For instance, Apple is already making 5 to 7% of its products in India, and there are plans on, 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 on a part of Apple to increase this ratio to 25% in the near future. In the case of Samsung, India now accounts for some 20, 20% of the South Korean company's global production. So do you think, um, say, smartphone can be an area for India's manufacturing to see a major breakthrough? Yeah, I think it, it, it looks like, actually, uh, we are doing uh, pretty well in, in, in the smartphones. Uh, but, you know, basically, uh, India wants to become a manufacturing hub because you know, uh, our share of manufacturing is very small. Uh, secondly, the, 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 we are trying to do some kind of a skill development, uh, and, and also we have a huge youth population. Uh, so this is an effort, and our manufacturing share in, in, in uh, GDP is, is, is really low, and, and we are trying to work hard. But I think as far as the electronics is concerned, I think uh, the... Uh, the uh, semi, I mean, uh, the, the assembly, uh, assembling of these uh, smartphones uh, are, are are going to take place. But even for that, you know, uh, there are a lot of issues. I think there is not enough time to discuss it. If you pick company by company, every company has some or the other issues uh, with the government regulations or the local authorities and all. So really, what, what Professor uh, from um, university said was that actually we have to create a huge ecosystem is required if India wants some kind of a place in the world for 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 for, for manufacturing. Hmm. Uh, so I think uh, it is it is not merely uh, the, the the location or the policy or availability of resources and all. The whole system is not really oriented towards a proper a manufacturing um, um, streamline like, like 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 China does. Okay. So, Dr. Timothy Kurzweil, um, let's say, talk about, if we talk about the realm of car manufacturing, we understand India is currently the fifth biggest auto market in the world today. However, even though we have that, uh, we have that particular scenario, uh, major players like Ford, General Motors, Harley-Davidson, and Mantwark and a bus have piled out of the country in recent years. But in the meantime, though, there are also some particular foreign brands that are doing pretty well in India, like Hyundai from South Korea. 
What do you make of this um, particular phenomenon? I think a lot of those brands probably overestimated two things. Um, firstly, the consuming power of the Indian middle class and their willingness to spend, um, in the case of Harley Davidson, for example, lots more money on a product that everybody already buys. Um, and, and secondly, um, of their ability to sort of uh, break into a market that already has popular um, foreign inspired brands. So you meant it, mentioned uh, Hyundai, for example, but um, there's also the partnership between the Maruti Suzuki corporations, um, with, between the Japanese corporation Suzuki and the Indian producer Maruti, mm. uh, which is one of the biggest automobile manufacturers in, in India and, and, and in the world as well. So um, when you put these, these things together, then, yeah, there just wasn't space for all of these uh, new, new corporations to enter the market and be successful. Okay. So, Professor Yao, um, actually, there were some some particular, you know, specific goals when Make in India initiative was raised in the first place. For example, one goal is to try to reach an annual growth of 12 to 14 percent for the manufacturing industry, as well as to reach 25 percent by the year 2020 in terms of the manufacturing's um, uh, contribution to India's GDP. Now, in reality, the target of the year 2020 has been pushed back three times to 2025 now. Meanwhile, only 2015, that particular year, saw a manufacturing growth of more than 12%. And the last year, um, the manufacturing industry still only accounted for somewhere around 15% of India's GDP. And probably people have um, are not very optimistic that this ratio will be, you know, enhanced to a level near 25 percent by 2025, the current goal. What do you make of the gap between the goals and the reality? Yeah, I have to stay on a positive note that India elite has recognized that manufacturing is uh, in the longer term is going to be the main driver of the national economy. So by, uh, you know, uh, focusing on manufacturing to generate, uh, a, you know, GDP as well as uh, employment for India is actually of very, very important uh, for the country. On the other hand, I think, uh, as we discussed a number of issues about automobile, uh, about the chip industry, and, and, uh, and mm. also the, uh, the, the smartphone industry, yeah. India may have to consider some sort of strategy because um, you have to do it step by step. You cannot jump uh, from the technological uh, ladder from the very low level and suddenly to a very high level because there is a huge vacuum in between uh, to me. If you don't actually build from the very low level uh, initially uh, using, let's say, textile, let's say, toys manufacturing, let's say, the yeah. A relatively low value but labor intensive to accumulate some sorts of technology and capital to train the uh, population and the labor force. And then they, they can escalate to a higher level. I'm sure India has been doing uh, a lot of things on this. But I, I doubt whether they have a very clear strategy. That's for number one. This, number two is that uh, manufacturing progress is a, it's not a very quick progress. We cannot say in five years' time, I will increase the manufacturing by another 10%. I think this is probably more politically uh, motivated rather than realistically motivated. So the, I, I suggest the government have to reflect uh, the concerns of manufacturing technology and also the expansion of the sector. Not, not only have to reflect the competitive advantage of India, but also have to recognize that technological already, technology already exists in the market, but by you know diffusion and application may take a lot of time. So these are the two points that I, I have to stress. Mm, okay. Now, Mr. Sequib, let's talk about a particular issue regarding labor reform in, in India, because earlier this year, under the lobby of some business groups, including Apple and Foxconn, uh, Karnataka and Tamil Nadu, um, which are two states in southern India, these two states moved to amend the local laws to allow for an increase in terms of the working shifts. Now, 
a bit unfortunately. Both、um, regions are facing some kind of backlash in this regard, because in the case of Tamil Nadu, the legislation locally has has now been put on hold due to an outcry from local trade union and opposition party. And in the case of Karnataka, the opposition Indian National Congress has just won a recent state election, and then the opposition party. Is now vowing to repeal the, the the local factories law amendment as well. So, what do you think these two cases tell us about the difficulty in terms of pushing for labor reform in in your country? Which I guess is arguably a very important supporting factor if if India wants to have a booming manufacturing industry. Ah,、uh, you are you are absolutely you are absolutely right. Actually. Labor reforms, land and labor reforms, have been one of the biggest problem、uh, with India. You know, and that is why our industrialization has somehow becomes a part of the domestic politics or the the, the provincial politics and all. And that's why we have not been able to take take any step. Like the professor was saying, that you have to have a very holistic approach if you want to become a manufacturing hub. And for that, you have to have a policy. And which is which is really related、uh, for the industrial development. You have to have a, a proper reforms、uh, in in regulatory reforms, the land reform, the labor reform. It is not happening, and this will continue to happen. So as long as I mean now most of the states we do not have any more trade unions which are very strong and all, but still you know some unions are there and local government. Because of the of of the this democratic system and all, they keep promising these labors and all. So I think that is why our 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 liberalisation has been delayed just because of mostly for these two factors, land and labour reforms and all. And I think this is going to this is going to get better. It is getting better, much better than before. But it will take time for us to be on par with any other any other country. Mm, much better than before. Let's take a look at one particular ranking or figures in ranking among the seventeen Asian economies tracked by the Economist Intelligence Unit. India climbed from the fourteenth to the tenth spot in this、uh, particular think tank's most recent business environment ranking. Of course, that was a remarkable achievement or improvement, which, according to the think tank, has been aided by the large and growing domestic business opportunities and market forces that India is able to offer. However,、uh, the think tank has rated political environment as India's lowest scoring category. So we still have about two minutes before we need to take a short break. But Dr. Timothy Kurzweil, what is your thought about this? Well, thanks to the Economist Intelligence Unit for its wisdom. I mean, there's a classic case of a publication that you know, whenever India does something that a Western country or outlet likes, then it's oh, it's the world's largest <laughs> democracy. We're our best friends. We share common values, etc. Yeah.、Um, when it does something that you know the West does not like, then oh, you're a terrible place. You're a limited democracy. There's human rights concerns. There's persecution <laughs> of religious minorities. You know, so I, I don't think anybody should really pay too much attention to what the Economist or its intelligence unit have to say about anything. Okay, so、uh, you think the say this political environment that has been cited by this particular think tank、um, is not actually a top of your concern. I, I don't think there's any real concern about political stability in India at the moment. Okay. You should not pay much attention to what EIU says. Yes. <laughs> Economist or the, or the Times says, you know, you just discount it. Okay, but thank you very much. Let's take a short break here. Coming back, our discussion will continue. Stay with us. We are speaking with Mohammad Sakweb, Secretary General of the India-China Economic and Cultural Council in New Delhi. Dr. Timothy Kurzweil from Chinese University of Hong Kong, Professor Yao Shujie, Chang Kong Professor of Economics, was Chongqing University.
You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Hen in Beijing. Today we are talking about the prospect of India's plan to seek a boom in its manufacturing sector. Joining our panel, Mr. Mohammad Sakwip, Secretary General of the India-China Economic and Cultural Council, based in New Delhi. Dr. Timothy Kurzweil from Chinese University of Hong Kong, as well as Dr. Yao Shujie, Chengkong Professor of Economics with Chongqing University. So, going back to you, Professor Yao, when we talk about the infrastructure in India, which is another key area or another key supporting factor for a booming manufacturing, let's take a look at some particular numbers. Currently,、uh, it's estimated that logistics costs. Amount to fourteen to sixteen percent of Indian GDP, compared to the roughly eight percent global average. In the meantime, in the pre-pandemic level, India invested about four point five percent of its GDP in、uh, in developing its infrastructure, compared to six point five percent in China's case. So, with these numbers in mind. How much catch-up do you think India will need to play in this regard? Infrastructure is the precondition for economic growth in many aspects, and、um, the concept of transportation cost, the logistic cost for India is is particularly high, which means that、uh, transportation has become a, a, a very strong strength on India、uh, economy growth. You know, if the cost of transportation continue to to be very high, it also means that、uh, people,、uh, you know, mobility is going to be low due to the lack of transportation and inefficiency of transportation. Now,、um, the the condition between India and China is quite huge.、Uh, I I would suspect that、uh, about twenty years ago, China's transportation. Condition was also very poor. Yeah. But yeah, over the last twenty years, China has fundamentally transformed the transportation system. Not only the very massive,、uh, you know, highway system. Now the the high speed railway system and the, you know the seaport transportation and aviation, they have become、uh, highly modernized. And China probably is the front runner compared even to the. Uh, most advanced economy in terms of transportation, but India, I think there is a very long way for India to catch up.、Uh, how to catch up? Certainly,、uh, investment、uh, and technology progress, as well as the labor and also land reform.、Uh, our colleague just mentioned from India. These are the two biggest problems、uh, because the, without reforming the land system, I think the transportation. Yeah, construction is going to be、uh, very painful and very、uh, very expensive.、Uh, China have many conditions in terms of the supply side. For example, financing, land acquisition, technological、yeah. progress, and also the organization,、uh, the planning system is far more advanced compared to what what is today in India. So India,、uh, to some extent, I think. Can actually,、uh, you know, imitate some of what China has been doing because India has the advantage in the in the demand side. India area is relatively small. The,、uh, the the topography is relatively flat,、uh, so it is a very good condition for building、uh, modern transportation and also late,、uh, you know, population density is high. So、mm. if we going to have an economy scale. Uh, scope scale. They they are lots of advantage in the demand side. I think the the critical limitation is on the supply side. I just mentioned. Okay, so,、uh, Mr. Sequip, would you agree that India's effort in terms of、um, infrastructure improvement is now facing the same obstacle as the labor reform does? That's a point we discussed with you earlier. And would you, Professor,、uh, would you agree with Professor Yao? In this point, that there are some practices that is pretty mature and going on well here in China that can be、uh, imitated by by Indian policymakers. 
Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Actually, the land reforms, the procurement of land is one of the biggest problems that most of the Indian uh, infrastructure projects, the road or, or, or airports or railways are, are delayed. And they are delayed for, for, for decades, not like a year or two and all. So obviously, I think this is one of the reforms which we have been working, but because of the domestic politics, uh, but these reforms have not really been completed. As Professor Yao said, absolutely. One of the reasons that India's infrastructure development and also manufacturing growth, personally, I feel, I personally feel is because of India-China relations. I think if India-China relations would have been uh, normal or, or better, India has a lot to learn and China has a lot to contribute uh, to India's growth, whether this is manufacturing, whether this is um, um, IT or whether this is artificial intelligence. We have a lot to learn from China. And also, so if in the hardware in India, China can also benefit by, by a lot of uh, soft skills or soft development of India. So we had a huge scope to work together and really make it in Asia century. But unfortunately, it did not happen. Uh, and I, I hope sometimes it happens. So yes, Professor Yao is right that, that uh, India has missed the bus when we were talking about the, to having a cooperation and collaboration and learning from, from China. Small and medium enterprises are suffering because of our relationship with China. We have, the, we, we are, our pharmaceutical industry is dependent on, on, on raw material from uh, China. And they are also very un, in, un, uh, unsecure about sure about that what is going to happen and all. So there's a lot of disruption which has happened because of our India-China relations, I think. Uh, we'll have to uh, improve relationship if we really want to do something in this region. And people realize it. Industry realizes it. A mm. people, a general public realizes it. Maybe there is something related to maybe many things, internal government and foreign affairs or defense that we general people do not understand. But we feel, everybody feels the need of India and China coming together. Okay. But as a democracy... Uh, politicians and uh, policymakers in your country need to and ought to must listen to the voices from the general public, if that's the point you're trying to make. So, Dr. Timothy Criswell, let's talk about, say, another aspect of the uh, manufacturing development, namely the quality of the labor force. I mean, in terms of uh, the number of uh, workers, definitely, I mean, India has now overtaken China as the world's most populous country and 65% of the Indian population is under 35 years old. And presumably a lot of propulsion can be generated towards India's uh, ambition in terms of manufacturing development. But in the meantime, uh, let's check out some reality data. 78% of the Indians are literate, but this percentage has dropped to 62% on the part of women in this country. This is according to the data released by the Indian government back in 2019. By comparison, the literacy rate here in China is more than 97%. That's according to the official data sometime last year. In the meantime, about 1.6 million Indians are enrolled in vocational education each year compared to 5.6 million people enrolled across China's uh, higher, you know, vocational colleges on annual basis. So um, what is your take regarding how long of a way India need to go going forward in terms of improving the overall, you know, skill of its labor force? Yeah, so I alluded to this problem earlier where I said that one of the worst policy decisions that India made post-independence was to focus on um, high, higher education, and in particular in these like uh, Indian Institutes of Technology, um, which trains you know, highly skilled engineers. Now, the situation that produced is that now, ironically, uh, we started the discussion about chips and stuff. Most of the highest technology chips in the world have some sort of Indian hand in them where an Indian designer has uh, created the idea for the chips, right? Mm. You know, we have this situation where they can't be manufactured in India. 
um, simply because this, uh, the IITs generally export these skilled professionals to other countries, mm. um, and India doesn't really benefit much from that situation. Right. So um, the problem that created is, is a sort of uh, sociological or cultural pathway where everybody aspires to um, improve their life by going to university. And it's just not sexy, so to speak, for a government to sell to the population um, a huge investment in vocational education. You know, that's that's education for staying in a manufacturing sector or working with your hands or doing that sort of thing. Right. So it's difficult for the public to sort of um, be sold this idea that a major investment in vocational education is necessary. You know, so probably one of the biggest things that the country has to do um, in order to successfully improve its workforce quality is to change this culture around um, around vocational education and its importance. Because per dollar spent, um, vocational education is significantly better than university education um, in terms of the productivity that it gives an economy. Hmm. Okay, so Mr. Sequip, what is your what is your thoughts in this regard? I mean, do you think do you think there is a strong momentum or strong incentive uh, in your country in terms of um, shifting a little bit in terms of this focus from elite university education towards you know more broader based basic education or vocational training for? Uh, the a more broader base, the general public. Yeah, there, actually, there is a huge impetus uh, from the government uh, for the skill development. We have a, a a kind of a ministry level national skill development council, and we they have a huge program and a huge money has been allocated uh, for them. But somehow, as, as as like everything else, the program is very good. India is very good at making policies. But, you know, the implementation is rather poor. So when you analyze these things, you know, when you do the analysis, post-implementation of national skill development uh, councils and, and so many things and all, the result is not really up to the mark because uh, the, it has not been really piloted well. Or we are not researched well before implementing it. Like, you know, in, in, in democracy, we are more of a rhetoric than, 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 than the reality. So the government announces and then things about so the same thing has happened. But overall, you look if you look at the I mean, government is trying to do uh, or everything related to whether this is uh, um, skill development, whether this is infrastructure, whether this is um, uh, manufacturing incentives or product link schemes and all. So there are so many things are going along, but 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 it will not be fair to compare those things with China. You know, China is some um, centuries ahead of us as of today, you know, like maybe 30, 50 years or something, you know. Mm. But I think some progress has been made, but a lot has to be desired, you know, a lot has to be done. Mm. By the way, uh, Mr. Sequib, what do you think is the root cause behind this um, problem or scenario you have just mentioned where uh, policy is good, plan is good, but implementation is poor? Uh, there are multiple things. Number one that, you know, uh, there, there, there is no coordination between the policy making and the implementer, implementers or the regulators, you know. Everybody works in their own silos and all. So I make a policy, you are the implementer, so I do not discuss it with you how it will be implemented, somebody will regulate it according to that. Number, number two is that because of democracy, we have different governments in different states. Now, because the, 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 the because of the election, that the, the politics and all, every state wants to take the credit of that scheme, whether this is central scheme or their local scheme. So they try to implement it in such a manner that it should look like, okay, it has been implemented by the incumbent government at, the, at this place. Now, I mean, whoever is ruling it and all. So they want to take advantage or credit of it. Third is that our bureaucracy is, is, is huge, you know, I mean, they have... Uh, bureaucracy is very complicated and they have the power and all those things so they do not uh, it's very inefficient bureaucracy and then um, i mean a lot of schemes we have this is corruption it, it, it rampant corruption in, in these schemes and all so there are multiple things and this is what we are seeing it for the last 70 years i mean things have improved but still you know the the, the basics of our problems uh, remain 
Mm, okay. Now, Professor Yao, when we talk about China's um path in terms of developing its manufacturing industry, I guess a watershed moment was arguably uh, China's um two thousand and one accession into the World Trade Organization. Uh, by integrating itself into the world market and a world economic system, that's for sure. Now, in terms of multilateral trade, India has now somehow missed the opportunity of the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership or RCEP. However, bilaterally, it seems India is now in a pretty active manner seeking trade deals, bilateral trade deals with economies across the world. It have、uh, already signed a deal with Australia and another with the UAE, respectively. So, in your observation, to what extent do you think bilateral deals can offset those lost opportunities because of India not joining the RCEP? The bilateral relationship, you know, is just one country with one country, but the RCEP is is with with about sixteen countries. And the size of 16 countries is significantly larger than any single partner that India is trying to do it,、uh, you know, bilaterally. So, by missing RCEP, it certainly、uh, is a critical、uh, decision by India. Of course, I think the Indian government、uh, must have、uh, some consideration of why not join the RCEP. And the reason why not join, it, I think, is very difficult to speculate by myself. Yeah,、uh, it's, it's Indian countries,、uh, you know, interest. But India have freedom, you know, to work with many countries,、uh, particularly through the WTO. My my concern is probably not entirely or not necessarily、uh, connected with the multilateral or bilateral relationship.、Mm. It's the capability of India, you know, to engage、uh, with the rest of the world with a very strong manufacturing capacity. Uh, India, you know, relatively speaking, with a huge population, is now surpassing China. But in terms of the manufacturing ability and the capacity, it's still very low. So,、um, well, it, it, I don't actually blame India because India started reform、uh, much later than China. It's probably India started reform in the 1990s, but China started from the 1970s. So China have at least, you know, 15 to 20 percent.、Uh, Fifteen to twenty years in advance of India in terms of, you know, reforming and you know enter the international cooperation and multilateral、uh, relationship. But India was relatively import oriented, sorry, import substitution oriented before,、mm. and later on going to the so-called export push strategy、uh, in terms of economic development. It is relatively later than China. That's one、uh, advantage. The second disadvantage is just we have discussed about the technology, the operating system, the ecosystem,、uh, the supply chain, etc. The transportation, labor,、uh, you know, land area, and so on and so forth. So there are lots of area. I think India can、um, do a lot to to improve the manufacturing capability and engage with the rest of the world to become a strong manufacturer. Ah,、uh, you know, in the near future or the medium future.、Mm. Now, of course, I mean,、uh, strengthening or enhancing its、uh, own capability is a key factor. But in the meantime, we also need to、uh, take the external environment facing India into consideration. So here, I、uh, I have my next question, Mr. Sequib. Geopolitically. Currently, Washington is trying to persuade New Delhi into joining a geopolitical-based game to counter China in the Indo-Pacific region. Now, whether New Delhi will buy that—that's、uh, um, up to the debate. But that's another topic. Now, both parties are at least pretty happy about their partnership, as we can see from、um, Prime Minister Modi's recent visit to to America. That being said. India was actually not, you know, entirely exempted or shielded from being targeted by Washington's trade war、uh, in the Donald Trump era, right? Now, as India looks to boost its manufacturing industry, do you think New Delhi needs、uh, needs to take the U.S. trade protectionism tendency 
into uh, into account? Uh, not at all. Not at all. It's, it's a bit. It's a very big mistake, and I think India will not really uh, take it. Uh, take it or or follow America's uh, America's uh, thinking. Thinking on these uh, trade restrictions or trade rules and all. You know, Indians basically. You know, Indians do not trust Americans. General public. This is a. This is the bottom line. Now, why we are getting so closer and we are doing, you know, the reason this is because of the China, India looks for attention, we are looking for foreign investment, and we are thinking that being close to America, we might get a lot of concessions, we might get places, it might help us geopolitically or geoeconomically. But I think this is not going to happen, and most of the people, we realize it, that, you know, America does not stand by anybody. And we really do not trust with America, but maybe America, as of today, probably he sees us as a as a as a useful idiot. So they are giving us a lot of importance. They are offering. What are we doing when we go to America? We go like a like a shopping mall for for various arms and and ammunitions and new toys for for fight and all. What else? In as far as the trade is concerned, we have not got a single a single concessions. Since the Trump's time till today, you know, we have been talking about, we have been promised a lot by Trump, and then he says we'll do it in the next. So we understand it. We understand it. Being close to America, personally, I think this is a, this is this is a this is a mistake, and we might suffer for it. Okay. So by the way, do you think if someday in the future India ends up becoming a uh, a powerhouse, uh, an economic powerhouse on par with China? Um, Washington will also start uh, welding its economic or trade sanctions weapon against um, India. Yes, yes, of course, of course. But then, if India, uh, if, if if look, I I feel this is my personal view that India can become powerful only when India and China work together. America will try to stop or hurt or harm anybody who becomes powerful. They want this uh, unipolar world. They want that hegemony. So if it, I mean, if India become was more powerful today, we will be facing the same problem what you are facing in China today. But if India and China in together, which we can become each other's strength and this the 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 the, the, the blocks which we have created like. SEO and, 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 and BRICS and BIMSTEC, if, if we all work together, mm. then India, even if they do not want to want to put pressure, they cannot do anything else. So I think it is very important for India and China to come to come closer and work together. Otherwise, both of us are going to suffer. And I think India's development, mm. China okay. can play, again, I'm repeating, it can play a huge Important role in India's uh, growth and development story. Okay, so Dr. Timothy Kurzweil, what is your uh, thoughts regarding how New Delhi uh, should treat its relations with China if India wants to fulfill its manufacturing ambition? You know, one thing we can talk about, we can point to, is the fact that uh, currently, in the case of many products. Made or assembled in India, their components or raw materials are actually imported from China. Uh, yes, they are, um, but I think uh, mm-hmm. this is something that a lot of observers I get um, in China probably get wrong, where they see um, a country like India or Vietnam manufacturing or assembling certain things, and then there's a sort of uh, fear that oh, oh no, we're getting replaced in the industrial supply chain by by these other economies. Uh, no, what's actually happened is that China's engaged in industrial upgrading where, you know, as it's developed, it's manufacturing increasingly complex products. And then naturally, the, the sort of less complicated parts of the supply chain are moving to these other economies, you know, which were the same parts of the economy that China occupied maybe 20 to 30 years ago when it began its, uh, you know, significant reform and opening um, opening project. So um, what India probably needs to learn from that experience is that, you know, it's okay to maintain this relationship with um, with a country um, and import stuff from it and then basically assemble those products um, with the hope that in the future, 
um, you're able to engage in industrial upgrading as well. So it can learn from that experience that China had um, and, you know, develop its economy over time in such a way that over time it's in manufacturing more complex products uh, than it is now. Okay. So, Professor Yao, uh, currently we understand, of course, there is a lot of debate and discussion regarding going forward whether India will be able to replace China as a global manufacturing powerhouse. But um, putting aside this debate, uh, do you think a possible rise of Indian manufacturing would necessarily mean a decline for Chinese manufacturing? I think this uh, uh, our second speaker just um, uh, talking about you know by transferring the lower level of manufacturing to another country, such as India and Vietnam, they would actually enable China to uh, climb up to, to the supply chain to a higher level of, of, of product, and um, in that sense, I think the market will become bigger. Uh, so even India has become a major economy powerhouse. I believe India would sooner or later become an economic powerhouse, of course, uh, because the Indian people are working very hard, like the Chinese, and they they are very ambitious. So they they have a very bright future. Uh, the question is coming: uh, when they are going to become the big, uh, you know, business power as like China? And China have to prepare for that. First mm-hmm. of all, China should prepare for the competition from India and Vietnam. By moving up the supply chain, by diversifying the Chinese economy uh, from uh, possibly from the manufacturing to the higher end uh, services sector, uh, so that the the economy level will be different. So they just have to move from the the you know the different competitive advantage from the medium to a higher level in the future. And I think the Chinese uh, industry, the Chinese economy have to prepare for that rather than worry that sooner or later India will become a key competitor for China. Mm, so I guess to put it simply, a zero-sum mentality or mindset does not really apply when we talk about, say, the trade or economic relations between China and India. But thank you very much. We have been speaking with Dr. Timothy Kurzweil, Professor Yao Shujie, as well as Mohammed Sakwip. That's all the time for this edition of World Today. I'm Ding Hanin Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.